Hey, if you're new with us here this morning, my name is Pastor Jerry. Um, he's Pastor Dan. We're both pastors. Yeah, weirdest thing. Um, uh, this beginning part, what I like to do is, is, is almost a, um, not really a recap, but a little bit of a recap, but, but a lead into a guided kind of prayer. Right, and then we kind of take a break. We're going to hear this incredible song from our redeemed uh, singing group, and then I'm going to come back up, and we're going to dig into First uh, John, an incredible letter that the Apostle John wrote way at the very, very, very end of his life. That's just just a powerful, powerful letter. Um, so to kind of kick off our, our series here, it's called, uh, and you're in your second week, um, but I'm going to kind of real quick recap, so if you missed last week, it won't hurt in the least. Um, every new believer quickly learns that their new Christian friends um, have a lot of rules, <laughs> right? And if you became a Christian recently, you remember that you became a Christian through the grace of God. You didn't have to do anything, and you were amazed by that grace. You loved that grace. But then you started hanging out at church, and all these church people, they've got rules. <laughs> and those rules go on and on and on and on, and they expect you to follow all those rules after you learn all those rules, and, and it's expected of you. And then they make you take a membership class, and they tell you, you need to do all these things. That's not what I'm doing in my membership class, right? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, and do all these good deeds, but again, what about grace? What about grace? So our question is, if we're saved by grace through faith, does our character even count? And really, what I want to drive out this morning is how much, how much does our character count? I think you're going to be surprised by the answer. Very quick, again, follow-up thoughts, a recap of last week. Uh, we, we just read this passage. They stole it straight from my message from last week. Whatever. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift from God, not by work, so that no one can boast. And again, we got to understand this. This Paul is writing to first-time believers here. I don't know if I hit that last week. This is for first-time believers. Um, not seasoned, supposedly mature believers, and, and he's absolutely right, right? You are, in fact, saved by grace. Your character in this initial stage amounted to not much, right? Your character could have been all over the map. It wasn't your character that counted when you accepted Christ as your Savior. It was the character of Jesus Christ that counted. Your character, let me say it again, your character initially didn't count, it was 100% the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But as time goes by, God wants to change you. He wants to make you like his son. He wants you to have the character of his son. He wants you to be Christ-like. So that's kind of be his goal. As soon as you accept his son, he's going to try to make you look like his son. And, and don't push back against this thing because it's going to be an amazing thing. If you look like Jesus, it's not like you're going to have long flowing brown hair or anything like that, but you're going to have his characteristics and you're going to have his love and, and his compassion. Um, those are all amazing, amazingly fantastic things. But now that you're longtime believers, see, this letter wasn't written for exclusively longtime believers. These were brand new believers. He wanted to make sure they understood it was nothing that they did that saved them. There's nothing that they could do to save themselves. It was all on Christ. But then to the mature believers, we looked at this passage last week. This is what James was driving at in his letter. He's talking to mature believers. He says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? And the question he asked there is, can 
such a faith save them. Now, here's where our minds can't go because this is not where the minds of the early disciples went. And this is inevitably, every time we see a passage like this, this is where our heads go to. We go to after we die destination, heaven or hell. That's not what James is talking about here at all. Can such a faith save them? The question he's really asking is, are you and your neighbors currently experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in your lives? And if you are currently experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in your lives, the power of that spirit, the Holy Spirit in your lives, then everyone around you, including you, should be experiencing heaven now. That's a saving faith. He's asking, can such a faith save them? Can such a faith relieve suffering when they need something and we don't step forward and say, yeah, I'll help you provide? That's not faith. That's a, that's a dead that's a dead faith. So really what James is asking here, again, we just want to make, make, make very, very, very clear on this. He's talking about something that's happening right now. Can such a faith be labeled as a saving kind of faith? Do you lead people to life when you ignore their needs? Everyone said no. Good job, everybody, right? In other words, in other words, is it a faith that gives rest to the harassed? Is it a faith that gives peace to the troubled? Is it a faith that is true through and through? See, a lot of us have a faith, and it's kind of on the outside, and we all look good on the outside, kind of like alabaster. We all look really good, but then if somebody really bumps into us, weird stuff comes flying out, like anger. Like they bump into us, it's like, whoa, where'd that come from? You look like a nice person, but I'm so sorry I bumped into you because you're a crazy person now, right? Is it a faith that's true through and through? Or in verse 17, James kind of concludes his idea here in the same way. Faith by itself, it's not accompanied by faith, is dead. And again, dead, he's trying to say, is does not give or save life. It's not a saving faith. It's a dead faith. It's a nowhere faith. It's a going nowhere faith. It's a faith that's going to very quickly be a non-faith. That's what it's going to be. Again, he doesn't mean that without action you're going to go to hell. What he's saying is without action to back your words and your faith, the lives of people around you will feel like hell on earth. But if you love them sacrificially and extravagantly, they're going to feel like it's heaven. And you will have brought them heaven on earth. And you can always tell, you can always tell when a Christian hasn't figured out this connection, this tension that we're kind of trying to solve with this whole series, the tension between grace by faith and, and our works and our deeds Right? We're saved by faith, but we're expected to do all these good things and, and, and this tension. And unless we can figure out this tension and, and make it fit together nicely and play together nicely, we're going to be frustrated. And everybody around us who knows us and knows that we're Christians are going to go, I don't get it. Apparently, you don't get it either. <laughs> because you're not being very nice. You say you believe this, but then I see your actions and I'm like, ah, there's a horrible disconnect. It's disconnect. Again, you can always tell a Christian who hasn't figured out this, this tension because they play the game. They play the walking the line game. I shared this with you last week. Over on this side of your life, you have all the bad stuff. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. You know, don't dishonor mom and dad. Don't do all that kind of stuff. And over here, you have all these beautiful stuff. Loves, give sacrificially, give extravagantly, right? Just give your life to people. And as Christians, we try to walk this line. And what we're doing, and just because of, well, I think I know why, (laughs) because we're so worried about hell, 
We're so afraid of hell. In fact, in 1 John, I'm not going to get to this, but in 1 John chapter 4, at the very end of the chapter, he has this great line that says, perfect love casts out all fear. We as Christians sometimes live a life where we're so living in fear of all this that we don't even think about the beautiful stuff. All we can think about is don't kill anybody, right? Don't covet. Don't do anything. Don't do any harm. And we stay on this line and we walk this white line and we don't do anything bad because we're scared to death of hell, but we don't do anything good either. Why? Because doing good stuff has nothing to do with hell. I can do all the good stuff in the world, but I can still avoid hell. I can do nothing over here and I avoided hell because I didn't do anything bad. That's a crazy way to look at the world. The way you're looking at the world is everything is waiting to the very end. Right there it says, when we live in a fear of then, later we miss out on heaven now. All we do is we walk this safe line, and we walk this safe line. And we get in the end of our lives and we go, like in the Olympics, God, look at my life, you know, do I get a 10? And God's like, wow, <laughs> you made it across the beam. <laughs> And you're like, what? <laughs> I didn't do anything bad, though. Yeah, but you didn't do anything good either. You didn't give anybody life. You didn't save life. You didn't give life. You were so worried. And here's the most important part, the, 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 the kicker. So you can't see and experience belief and rule following. Belief and rule following is just more obvious. It's out there. The power of our witness, hit that next slide there, the power of our witness lies not in what we believe and what we don't do. The power of our witness lies in what we do do. In what we do, we extravagantly and sacrificially love people. And again, the fact of the matter is, heaven and hell have already been loosed on earth and are activated by our behavior, not by our beliefs. Heaven is activated on earth when we love people, actively love people. Hell on earth has already been activated long time ago. And when Christ came, he came to say, hey, I'm here and I'm going to win. That guy is going to lose. It's all over. You all decide which kingdom do you want to be on, the losing kingdom or do you want to be on the winning kingdom? Got a little sidetracked there, sorry. The power of our witness is sacrificial and extravagant love. Put another way, it's only through our good works and our deeds that our faith is proven and demonstrated. In fact, in 1 John, he says, the demons, they have tremendous faith. They totally believe in God, but they're really rotten people. <laughs> they're horrible people. They don't bring heaven to anybody. They bring hell to people. Faith isn't the key. It's the beginning. It instructs our deeds. It's the crucial beginning, but it cannot stop at what we believe and what we say, what we believe and what we say has to have hands and feet for it to be real, to be proved, to be demonstrated. Just how Christ, what, what, what did God do? He demonstrated his love for us. How? He sent his son, extravagantly, sacrificially giving because he loved us. When we bring heaven into somebody's life, when we sacrificially and extravagantly love people, two things happen. Number one, they experience heaven. Well, we also experience heaven, just the joy that we receive when we see somebody else finding heaven. But the second thing, the third thing, I guess, is everybody watching. They want in on it. They want a piece of heaven. And they see the beautiful things going on in the body of Christ over there at Richland Church in Nazarene, and they think, man, I want some of that. 
I'm all alone right now in my life. I want to be a part of a people who love each other extravagantly and sacrificially. That's what I want in my life. I don't want to be alone anymore. They want to be in the kingdom now. And I asked you how much earlier, how much does our character count? I want to enter a time of prayer right now with just this simple answer. Your character counts as much as you want to experience heaven and as much as you want your friends and family and neighbors to experience heaven. That's how much your character counts. How badly do you want to see heaven and how badly do you want to see your loved ones see heaven? That's how much your character counts. So you can play games with it. You can have a little bit of character. You can have a lot of character. You can bring joy and love and peace and heaven into somebody's life or you can play it safe. And at the end of your life, it's like, ah, look at me. I want to pray right now. I want to pray kind of a a multi kind of prayer. The first part of my prayer, and I'll kind of lead us in all this, is just a prayer of confession. I, a long time ago, just sidetracking again, a man in a prison in England heard the gospel presentation, and he went up to the preacher, and he just launched into the preacher. He's screaming at him, and he's saying, if what you say is true... If what you say is true, then you should have crawled across broken glass to find me. If hell is true and heaven is true, you should have crawled across broken glass to share that good news with me, but you didn't. What, what are you doing? So just, would you just bow your heads for a moment this morning? And, and again, a prayer of confession, Father. We are so sorry that we didn't love. We withheld. We, we played it safe, and, and heaven remained far off, and hell became scary and visible. Father, forgive us for every time that we saw something, and I'm pointing my finger at me here. We saw need, we saw suffering, and we thought, we have enough, but I just don't want to bother The world has a right to scream at us that we haven't crawled across broken glass to reach them. Father, this morning, forgive us for that. And and then on top of that, Father, open our eyes to that person in our life that we ignored that we just sought for forgiveness and our forgiveness is going to be awfully empty and impotent if it doesn't get backed up with some action. And so, Father, this morning, forgive us, but also give us courage to share our faith, share the good news, the gospel, with somebody who is lost and experiencing hell on earth right now. Father, bring to mind every person in this room, one name, two names, a group of names, I don't know what it is, but but Father, by the power of your Spirit, bring these names to our minds right now, Father. And for the next several weeks, we're going to pray for these names. We're going to lay them on your altar. We're, we're going to seek the power of your spirit. And we're, we're not going to leave it up to you. You're, you're not going to force them to do anything, Lord. You are going to work through us. So, Lord, open our eyes and then, and then open up our hands and get our feet moving so that we can go love people and, and share our faith. 
how much does our character really count? Father, you, it counts for everything now. Because it's only if we're Christ-like that people will see you. Father, help us to see our neighbors for who they are and what they are. Hurting and broken, but deeply loved and forgiven. Help us to get past appearances, get past past hurts, stereotypes. Help us to get past all that and help us to love extravagantly and sacrificially. Father, this morning in somebody's life, that the local church of the Nazarene in Richland, California would bring heaven to somebody. Father, thank you for this that's going to happen, that you're already opening doors, you're already touching hearts, people are already responding, yes, I will do that. And Father, your kingdom moves forward and it spreads. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Richland Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for every person in this room who... They're all, they're all on so many different parts of their journey, Lord, but they're all moving towards you. And we're all looking back and helping those of us that are behind us, and we're looking forward, and those in front of us are helping us, pulling us up. Father, we're, we're all moving toward Christ's likeness as a body. We can't do this alone. So, Father, keep us here together. Help us not to run off seek greener passages, better churches, better pastors. Father, help us to be okay with this one because this is where your spirit is and your spirit has been given to all the churches in equal measure and what you want to see happen here will happen when we obey, period. Thank you, Father, for this eventuality, this fact. We pray these things in your name, your son's heavenly name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Marketplace love. The biblical New Testament prescription for all that ails this country. What is, what is marketplace love? Again, it's what's needed when our faith, I guess, meets a lack of faith or maybe a hostility to faith, and that's our world right now, right? If you haven't been living under a rock, you're noticing that people of faith and people without faith, they're, they're really going at it. They're going at it pretty good. A little civil war going on um, in our country. And there's all these kind of words kind of over the top of these things, and, 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 and the words begin to take on different meanings, and, and everything just gets a little, a little bit weird. That was, the, that was the world that the Apostle John was living in near the end of his life. The world, the Roman Empire, the Mediterranean world at that point was turned upside down. The Roman Empire had come through and in many ways improved things, but in many ways had sent a lot of cultures kind of backwards because they were so powerful and they were so adamant about what they wanted and what had to be and what couldn't be. So the believers were living through a truly, truly, really, really bad time. The temple had been destroyed. The believers are scattered all over the place. And John is in his old age. I mean, he's like 90, 90-something years old. He's in Ephesus. It's where the, the book of our Bible, Ephesians, was written. 
to the church at Ephesus, call it the book of Ephesians. Um, he's taking care of Jesus' mother. I don't know if you guys remember this, but at the end of the Gospels, Jesus says, John, in, in more words, let's take care of my mom. I, I can't anymore. And John says, I, I'll, I'll take care of your mom. And if you go to Ephesus today, there's a place that you can go. You're going to have to pay an entry fee and get a ticket in the whole nine yards, but it, apparently it's a pretty cool place. You will see the house that Jesus, excuse me, Jesus' mother Mary and John lived in as John took care of Jesus' mother He writes this, horrible times, dear friends, or dear beloved is really what he's trying to say. And again, I, I, I really want to emphasize this. John is old and he's seen it all. Hundreds of thousands of his fellow Jews and these new Christians being murdered, massacred. I mean, it was a horrible situation, just, just horrible situation. Tiberius, Caligula, Nero, Domitian, Diocletian, I mean, all these crazy emperors had come and gone. They'd done horrible, crazy, crazy things. He'd seen it all. Violent deaths of all his closest friends and colleagues. They were all dead. So John, at this point in his life, can write anything he wants to the new believers living in this incredibly crazy world, how do we keep this movement moving? Because it doesn't look real good right now because everybody's dead. <laughs> everybody's dead. And, he, and again, he can write anything he wants because he's, he's like he's John. He's the only one left. Everyone's going to listen to what John says at this point because he's the only one left. He can say anything he wants to benefit young believers Here's what he writes. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. At a certain point, you kind of got a feel for the disciples and, and, and the followers at that point. Said, John, are you really, are you real still, are you, you still hanging on to that love thing? How's that working out for you and the guys? They're all dead. How's that working out for the church? It's in hiding right now. John says, yeah, I know, I know. How many of your friends have you lost, John? I lost track. And you're still holding on to this love thing. Isn't there a, a plan B? Isn't there anything else that we can do to get this thing off the ground? Because this thing is not off the ground. This thing is sinking into the ground. You're the only one left, John. Let us love one another for love comes from God. Right? You know about Paul. Yeah, he got his head cut off. <laughs> One of those crazy Roman emperors did that. Oh, you know about Peter? Yeah, yeah, I know. He got crucified upside down. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know all that. Yeah, Matthew got burned alive, burned at the stake. I, I really want to hold on to this love thing? John continues. Verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Basically, the way you can tell a person is godly is Right? If they know God. And if they know God, they should be godly. <laughs> he continues, verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God. And you're like, wait, 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 wait a minute. I know a whole bunch of really, really great Bible teachers and preachers and pastors. They're not really very nice people, but they know their Bible. They got to know you, God. I mean, they go on and on and on and on and on. Like they live with you at one point or something. Well, how can that be? How can you, you're saying that they might not know God? How, how can this be? In verse 8, he finishes, because God is love. Because God is love. 
Now, most folks would say, you know, if I said, well, what, what is God? Right? And I'm teaching a membership class, and, and, and next week we're going to start with uh, the first of our articles of faith, God, <laughs> triune God, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, first three articles of faith in our Nazarene church. Most people, if I said, describe God, most people would not start with love. They would more than likely, if I were to ask you right now, how many of you would start with the omnis? Well, God is omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's a whole bunch of other omnis. I can never remember all of them. And then maybe, maybe you'll go to like descriptors, like, like he's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And then maybe you would go trying to describe God. You would, guide, you would go to some Hebrew words where you're not really sure what they mean, El Shaddai and Adonai, and, and like they use them a lot, and you're not really sure what they mean. And, and you go to all powerful, and you go, and, and creator, sustainer of all life. But John says, yeah, you you know, he's all those things. Yeah, he, he is all those things. But in his essence, what you just described is a lot of stuff that he does and can do and doesn't do and characteristics, attributes, things like that. But what is God if you were to take him and slice him up into a million tiny little pieces? You ever thought about that? I hope not. <laughs> right? If you were to crumble up God, what would you find? You'd, you'd... <laughs> Love. <laughs> Love. Oh, oh there's a... Oh, oh, yeah, oh love. It's not omnipotence. <laughs> it's love. You slice up God, you crumble him all up, and what you're going to get, every little, every little, every piece of him is going to be love. Love. But John, how do you know? How do you know this? Because the evidence would seem to point otherwise. Everybody's dead. How do you know God is love when everybody's dead? <sighs> 1 John 4, verse 9, this is how I know, because he showed his love among us. Now, don't skip over that among us. It's easy to jump right on over that. He showed his love among us. John's saying, look, I saw it. This isn't a story. This isn't a myth. This isn't a legend that I heard about. My mama told me when I was a little boy growing up, you know, I saw him crucified. I saw him. There's a whole bunch of us around still that saw him raised. Right, Mary? We saw him, right? We saw him. He proved his love among us. We didn't read about it in some far-off newspaper on CNNs going on halfway around the world. John said, look, I saw this. There's a whole bunch of us. and Quite a few. Well, there's a few of us still alive. Maybe I'm the only one, but, but I saw it. I saw it. He sent his one and only son. It's like John had to have stopped and goes, wow, did I memorize that as a kid? No, wait a minute. I wrote that. Right? You guys all know that. This is, this is a John letter that the apostle John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he wrote that. And he's like deja vu right now. Right? Okay. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And again, we got to look at that word live. It is not live later. It's a present tense live. You experience life now. You don't have to wait. I, I keep really banging on that. I mean, because it's so crucial. Now, Christ came to backdate heaven. I think that's the right word. It's not postdate, it's backdating, right? He took heaven and the future and he brought it to now, brought it back for us. He continues, verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Now, you notice all the we's, the us's, ours, us, our, us, our, we, us, our, what that says, that, that's huge, that's very, very important. What that says is that your neighbor, right, that you can't stand, 
Christ died for them. Christ loves them. Your boss, right, that you secretly pray against, right? Your lazy employees, yep, they're one of the us's, they're one of the we's, right? And you want to fire all of them. God loves them. God loves them. Your mother-in-law, yep, 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 she's one of them. Now, I love my mother-in-law, just in case she watches this online. I do, I really do, though. I do, I do. Um, now, you think about the worst people in your life. God loves them, God died for them. That's the essence, that's the power of this passage right here. And then verse 11, kind of concluding, right, kind of therefore in light of, verse 11 says this, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, that ought word is a financial term in the Greek. It's a, it's a debt, debtor-debt relationship, really. Um, the best way I could explain this, if you have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, one of the most brutal movies I think I've ever seen in my life. If you haven't seen it, Saving Private Ryan, the government decided that there were five brothers, four of them were killed in World War II, and there was only one left. His name was Private Ryan. And they decided that this poor mother could not lose all of her sons in World War II. So they sent a whole platoon led by Tom Hanks. It's <laughs> a good movie. Um, to go and find this one Private Ryan and to get him back to his mom. Because no mom should have to lose all five of her sons in a war. That's the gist of the movie. And so this platoon, they go and find Private Ryan. And in the course of the movie, they all sacrifice their lives for Private Ryan. At the very end of the movie, Tom Hanks is, he's dying. He gets shot. And he says to Private Ryan, basically he says, look, make the sacrifice of these guys mean something. Don't forget that your life was just purchased extravagantly and sacrificially by the guys in my platoon. Don't ever forget that your life was purchased at a great price. Make your life worth it. That's what this is saying right here. Make your life worth it. We ought to love one another since God so loved us. John continues in verse 12, says, No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We can't see God. We all know that because he's spirit. But we can see his effect. Just like you can't see the wind, but you can certainly see the effects of the wind Right? That's all the trash gathered up in my front yard. That's the effects of the wind. You can't see electricity, but you stick your finger in that socket and you're going to feel its effects. I've done that. I'm sure some of you have done that too. What John is saying here is the effect of God, you should be able to see. Hit that next phrase there. The effect of God on a person is love. That's what John is trying to say. If you say you know God then people should look at you and go, oh, love. Oh, there's love. Oh, there goes love. <laughs> oh, here comes love. The effect of God on a person is love. If and when God enters a person's life, they're clothed with the love of God and the love of others. And just as equally true as the opposite kingdom-building New Testament truth, check this out. Hit that next slide there. God is known by his effects on that person. And that's what I was talking about earlier. When we bring heaven into somebody's life, everybody watching goes, whoa. That was amazing. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. Good works that glorify your heavenly Father. 
And now for the best part of all, this is the, this last scripture I'm going to look at. This is verse 13. Probably the most, some of the most powerful words in the Bible that we tend to skip over at the expense of heaven now for people. You guys ready for this? Verse 13, right? Oh, he already showed it. I was going to like build it up. Anyway, this is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit. In other words, he's given life He's given life from his life and placed his life in our life by way of his Holy Spirit, right? The problem is many Christians were only Christians in name only, right? The faith is dead. It doesn't give, doesn't save life, doesn't even save their own life. They look good on the outside. I gave you a bunch of candy bars when you all come in. Would you all grab one of those? Hold it up so that I know somebody has some candy bars and you all didn't eat them. Don't hold up an empty wrapper, I gave very specific instructions. You all got that candy bar. Now, if you were to unwrap that candy bar and you knew nothing, you didn't speak English, you're just holding what appears to be something, I'm going to tell you right now what you're holding is a Christian. You're a Christian. You unwrap that wrapper and it looks great. They all kind of look brown. <laughs> I, I don't know why brown. <laughs> I'm colorblind, all right, all right, all right, all right. But here's the deal. Some of you have candy bars that when you break into them, they're not the same on the inside as they were on the outside. Some of you, when you break yours, you could slice that up and you would come up with the same, same thing, right? Christianity, all right? we, we look good on the outside, we, we attend church every Sunday, we wear nice, sort of nice clothes, and we, you know, we, 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 we do all this stuff, but it's really in the world out there, it's a guess when they come to somebody called a Christian, what kind of Christian are they going to get? It's kind of like Forrest Gump's mama told them, right? Life's like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. Now, here's the problem. That wouldn't be the situation if Christians <laughs> weren't like boxes of chocolates, because that's what we're like. The people look at us and you're going, well, I wonder if I bite into that one, what I'm going to get. Is it going to be coconut? Blah. Or am I going to get pure? Am I going to get what I expect, what's on the outside? So what I want you to do right now, if you're holding a Hershey bar, I want you just to hold it. I want you to, to, to just for a moment, I want you to ignore the Hershey bar, even though I'm going to say it's the most pure, holy candy bar there is. Hang with my metaphor here, right? Right? You can go off track in many different ways, but stay with me here. If you're holding the Hershey bar, you're holding what is a good representation of God. He's pure through and through. Love through and through. You break that up in a million ways, you still got chocolate. You still got chocolate. And then you got Christians. So you got God and you got all the other candy bars. Look good on the outside, but you never know what's on the inside. Now, if you're holding a candy bar that you're a, 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 a Hershey bar, I want you to visualize for a moment. If you're not holding a Hershey bar, I want you to pretend you're holding a Hershey bar. You're holding the Spirit of God, pure love. What would it feel like to be a Christian who is pure love? Through and through. Would that be wonderful? What if, you, what if you knew the whole world, when they came to you, they would know that no matter what their issue was, no matter what their situation, whatever their pain, their loss was, they could count on you because they know you were pure. You could crumble that thing up in a million different ways, and you're going to still get the same thing. And now for a moment, I want you to switch gears. I want you to either hold the candy bar, all the other candy bars, or I want you to pretend that you're holding one of those other candy bars. And how does it feel to be a Christian when everybody looks at you and you go, I wonder what would happen if I bumped into them? because that's what people think about us. They don't think about us as the Hershey bar. 
They think about us as one of those candy bars where they're not terribly certain what they're going to get, kind of like that box of chocolates. You never know until you bump in or bite into one. My prayer for this for you this morning is that we would be pure, that we would be Hershey bars. Okay, let's... <laughs> that we would be pure like God. And in fact, verse 14 says exactly that, that we can be filled. We can dump out all the, the coconut, the almonds, the nougat, I don't know, whatever else is all in there, and we can be pure. He will fill us and everything else. What I want to do this morning is I want to pray for you, and I want you to pray for yourselves, too. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of different prayers here this morning. There are a lot of people here this morning, I think, that they've never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they want that. They, they want, you want this. There are a few others of you in this room, I think, that you've accepted Christ and, and you're going down the road and, and you're hitting some valleys and you're hitting some bumps and there's some big things coming up and you just need some sustaining grace. Lord, just help me keep going. You know that you got me entirely. You know I'm totally devoted to you, but I know this week ahead is going to be nutsy. I need some sustaining grace. And there's a few of you who you've accepted Christ long ago, and you've been struggling, right? You haven't gotten victory in your life, and God says, you know what? I want to give you, I want to give you something entirely. I want to sanctify you entirely. What I want to do for you is I want to give you what you have been asking for and wanting for, but you never thought to ask for it. I want to be completely filled with you. I want to be a Hershey bar. I want to be like a Hershey bar. I want to be pure all the way through. And the crazy thing, God's word tells us that he's going to give us that gift just like that, and he's willing to do that. All we got to do is ask, but we don't ever ask. We were so busy playing this game, avoiding, avoiding. He's saying, look, if you jump in headlong over here, I'm going to, I'm going to bring heaven to you. I'm going to bring heaven to everybody you know. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of everything. Don't worry about it. It has nothing to do with your character. Don't worry about you being able to live up to this Agreement that you're going to pray with God for. It's all on him. It's not on you. It's on him. We ask for more of him, and he says, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to give you more of me. So there's a group of people I have a feeling that's, their, that's a prayer. So if you all bow your heads for a moment. And again, I want you to pray wherever you are on your journey. Do you need some, some beginning grace, some, some initial grace? Do you need some sustaining grace, or do you need some completing grace? Right? Where are you? Father God, wherever anybody is in this room, Father, I just pray the power of your spirit, you know where they are. Whether they're honest with you or not, they know where they are. Um, and, and Father, they know, that they know the temperature of their desire to have more of you. And there is a group of people in here, I know this for a fact, Father, a group of people who desperately want all of you. They're tired of just having you in their living room. They want, they want you to have control of every room in their house. They want you to just to take over. They're prepared to say yes to anything. They're prepared to you not even ask them anymore. Do you want this or you want that? They're just like, do it. I trust you entirely. Father, give them the power of your Holy Spirit right here, right now in this building, this instantaneous act of grace that you promise us in your word that you would, 
You would take our, our, our bent toward loving ourselves and you would bend that toward loving you, that we would actually desire to love you more than to love ourselves. Father, what a gift that you promised us. And Father, we ask for that gift this morning, that you would completely fill us. But Father, we have to ask for that. We have to ask for that every moment of every day. When we hit our feet hit the floor in the morning and when we go to bed at night, we have to be seeking to be filled with your Holy Spirit so that we're pure through and through, that we have a faith that's true through and through. That's what the world needs. The world does not need somebody that looks good on the outside and is something else on the inside. Father, help us to be pure. Help us to be constantly filled with your power this morning. So, Father, I I know that people are praying that prayer right now, that you are currently, by the power of your spirit, you are filling them with their spirit, with your spirit, and they're becoming becoming God-like. They're becoming Christ-like. And, Father, they made a huge decision this morning, but here's the fact of the matter is they're going to have to live out that decision. They made a crisis moment of decision this morning, Father, but you know they're going to have to live out that thing this afternoon when somebody cuts them off right outside this church building. They're going to be tested. And, Father, some of them are going to succeed and some of them are going to fail miserably. But, Lord, it's not on them. It's on you. You will commit to their request that you will continue to fill them and slowly, gradually shape their character because this is what we want, Father. We want more of you. So, Father, to the one who's asking you for the very first time, show them that you're real, Father. Give them the power of your spirit. Give them friends. Give them loving friends as quickly as possible. And Father, for those who just need to make it through another day, make it through another week, Lord, sustain them. Lord, they are seeking you every morning, and we're just praying that you continue to sustain them. And Father, for the ones that want to be, they're done playing games. They're just done playing silly games. They want to be filled. Father, fill them. Fill them with your spirit and remind them every day to be filled again, to top off constantly. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've done here this morning, for the love that has been clarified this morning and purified. Father, you don't call us to be right. You call us to be holy. So, Father, as we go into the marketplace that we would be like the disciples. Everybody expected Matthew, the Rome lover, to hate Simon Peter, the zealot. Everybody expected them to hate each other, but they loved each other. That was marketplace love. Father, if we could do that in this crazy world that we're living in, that we could bring marketplace love, that we would desire to understand more than we desire to be right that we would desire to be holy more than we want to be right. Fill us with your spirit, Father. Give us the power to give grace like you do and mercy. Father, that our compassion would never run out. Thank you, Father, for everything you've done here this morning. Thank you for your spirit in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you did for us, that you gave to us extravagantly and sacrificially. And now we're going to do the same thing. Thank you, Father. In your son's name I pray. Amen.
Thank you so much.